So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey man fans, I'm Ollie Mann and this is the first edition of The Modern Man for 2022. Hello, we are the monthly magazine show for your ears. Do tell your friends. Here's what's coming up today. I went from a middle class upbringing, more privileged than I could have ever comprehended, to all of a sudden anywhere I go everybody's staring at me. When a car accident changed every aspect of Jim's life, he found salvation at the cutting edge of the law. He tells me about the treatment he credits with saving his life. Plus... I would suggest that maybe part of that attraction for people who like stinky feet is the idea of getting very close to somebody in an intimate way that isn't usually shared. Why are so many straight men titillated by tootsies? Alex Fox puts her foot in it, and Ollie Peart goes into ketosis. It's all to come in this edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters, and thank you everybody who's written in to praise our typically bonkers Christmas special that we put out in December. Uh, Stephen on Twitter, at The Modern Man, says, Ollie, I listened to it at work last night. It was one of the funniest things I've listened to all year, and I'm amazed I never got caught, as headphones are not allowed at my workplace. That is a risk, Stephen. Uh, There was some choice content in that episode. I'm not sure I would listen out loud at work. That's a bit like playing podcast roulette. But I'm I'm glad you kept your job and I enjoyed the reference to being caught. Reminded me of my uh, teenage experiences at boarding school. Uh, Simon Buller, meanwhile, uh, was listening whilst making a Sunday roast. Very wholesome. Um, Although I'm sure Alex would have some gag to insert at this point about sausages or uh, basting or something. But she's not here right now. Uh, I love it when people, by the way, have a moment in their monthly routines that they keep free for our show. So, Simon, if that is a Sunday roast for you, that's fascinating. Is there a particular part of the show that's good for peeling vegetables? How do you listen? Is it when you are driving to watch a football match? Is it when you are taking the dog for an epic walk? Let us know. We'd love to find out that stuff. Martin from Luxembourg evidently likes to binge. Um, I'm talking about on the podcast, I don't know about your personal life, Martin, uh, because he says, Ollie, I'm a little late to the party. I've only just finished your third series, uh, but I'm really quite enjoying working through your back catalogue and I'm getting through them quite fast. So I'm hoping to get up to 2022 at the time you do. <laughs> so happy new year, Martin, if you've made it to 2022. Um, that's a lot of content that you've listened to all in one go. I'm a bit concerned that now we're going to drop down to once a month in your feed. It's going to be a shock. Um, We do do a weekdaily show as well called The Retrospectors. That's out every Monday to Friday. Why don't you add that to your podcast subscriptions too, nudge, nudge. Uh, The Retrospectors, try that. Uh, Martin says, uh, Ollie, you might remember from the depths of 2017 that your last episode of the third series was another of your How to Be a Dad episodes. Uh, You guys are wimps. I want you to know that you should have tried what I had to go through. We had two pairs of twins separated by only 20 months. Wow. Uh, So you guys got it fucking easy just getting one at a time. 
it was so bad that my memories of that time are actually suppressed. Or maybe just the alcohol makes those memories dim as well as distant. The memories, in fact, were that suppressed that we only went and had two more kids a few years later. Wow, six children and two sets of twins. That is impossible for me to comprehend. I mean, two is hard enough. Uh, as we do talk about, uh, <laughs> how to be a dad will return with Tom and Stu later this year. Uh, but I can't imagine having six. I wonder if there's anyone listening who has more that they live with, you know, all part of the same family now. Do let me know if you are that person, like if you have eight kids. I'd love to do a middle feature one day about what that's like. How does it work? Do you have to get two Citroen minivans? I don't know. Uh, right, before we get going with this month's show, and whew, we have a cracking middle feature this month. Honestly, it's absolutely compelling. Um, just a reminder that this podcast, though free to download, is not free to produce. Uh, we have travel expenses, we have web hosting costs, we have technical equipment, and yes, our time, our effort, my mortgage. Uh, all of that needs to be reimbursed. And the only money that we have coming into our coffers is from the sponsorship and advertising you can hear. Otherwise, we're an independent production. There is no Big Daddy Warbucks uh, bankrolling this thing. We're funding it ourselves. So if you enjoy our work... Uh, please do set up a recurring monthly donation for whatever you can afford. Our suggested price is £3.69. That is the average price of a pint of beer per month, which is why we call it beer money. We think that is a reasonable ask for providing you with usually around 75 minutes of content per month. If you agree, do donate now. Head to modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click beer money. There are over 100 listeners like you supporting this show right now helping us keep the lights on. All your donations go directly towards supporting this show. That is our budget. No bullshit. Modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click beer money. Thank you. Do it now. Uh, right, coming up today, you will learn what costs £665 per month, who used to keep a mummified foot by his bedside, and why Ollie Peart enjoys giving himself a facial. <clears throat> Let's go. Right, time for the zeitgeist with Manscaped. Your trends tested with the pescatarian Judas, it's Ollie Pitt. Hi Ollie, how you doing? I'm alright, thank you. I mean, as well as I can be at this time of year. I, I, You know, this is an entertainment show, I like to lift people's spirits, but I'll be honest, January's just, it is just bad, isn't it? It's terrible, but then we all decide that, oh well, it's the perfect time of year to give up all the things that we love, which is just stupid. Oh, you're not doing dry January, I are am, you? yeah. Why am I doing it? Sorry, I should be supportive. Oh, well done you. It's really important to get a cleanse. Yeah, but it, but it's not. Like, this is the time of year I should be just getting smashed every night. <laughs> but it agree. is, isn't it? Like, it, it, it's not hypothetical for me, I'm I afraid. would. Uh, you should give up, give up booze in, like, October. Nothing happens then. Give up booze in October. Mm. But now, actually, sort of a week in, you're fine. You're kind of all right with it. And it's nice waking up not feeling, you know fuzzy through booze well this will be an interesting thought experiment won't it what does the zeitgeist sound like when ollie pitt has clarity of thought let's find out uh because <laughs> last month we gave you three gifts three presents to experiment with in january sort of new year new you health fad type products mm. and the first was the keto scan light remind us what that was well the keto scan light it's basically a monitor and it works in a very similar way to um, one of those breath tests for alcohol and what it's monitoring is whether or not your body is in a state of ketosis now i didn't know what ketosis was i, I know it's a thing because my mum is a bit of a fad dieter and i've heard her before talking about like 
getting into a state of ketosis, which my dad always used to call Kinshasa, just to wind her up. <laughs> okay. um, so I know it's a thing, but I don't know what it means. It's a metabolic state that your body goes into when uh, you don't have enough carbohydrate in your body. So what your body does is it creates what are called ketones using your fat stores in your body and it uses that as fuel for your cells. So it burn, you burn weight because you're using more energy is the idea. Yeah. Not having enough carbohydrate in your body, that doesn't sound like a positive sign. Well, if you have lots and lots of fat, if you're obese, basically, then it can be a good thing. Again, not a hypothetical for me. Right, but it can be a good thing because you can, you know, that fat is excess fat. It's fat that you don't need. So why not use that? Living my best life. Why not use that for fuel for your body? Uh, so it can have its benefits, but it can be problematic. So if you are sort of wanting to get into a state of ketosis and you're already, you know, quite lean, you do actually have to be quite careful. You can cause some serious problems if you don't have enough carbohydrate in your body. And to do it, like to actually get into a state of ketosis, reducing your carbohydrate, you have to reduce it by a lot, like a lot. We eat roughly between 200 and 300 grams of of carbohydrate a day. That's what you're supposed to eat. So it's like, it's about 50% of your diet, something like that. And Mm. to get into a state of ketosis you need to drop that down to about 20 to 50 grams. It's like nothing. It's like a chip. Wow. Where would you get your carbohydrate from if you wanted to do that anyway? Cut out white bread, cut out rice, cut out potatoes. What actually is left to give you some carbohydrate? Well, if, if so the people that want to get into ketosis, like your mum, the diet that they would follow would mean that they'd have to give up things like uh, all those starchy foods that we mentioned, so like rice, pasta, potatoes, all that kind of stuff. All fruit, Right. Right. Which just doesn't yeah. sound healthy in any way, shape, or form. Uh, beans and legumes, uh, booze, obviously, and also like root vegetables like potatoes, but uh, sweet potatoes, parsnips, all of that stuff. Come for my booze and fruit, but leave me my legumes. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't take my legumes from me. Ollie, what's your favourite legume? I've got to know. <laughs> Come on, no, no. What's your favourite legume? This is I, I, genuinely my cupboard is stocked with legumes. Well, give me your shortlist, and I'll choose my favourite. Oh that. man, I'm all over cannellini beans. Uh, I love a, I love yeah. a chickpea. A chickpea. Chickpea's bad for gout. I found out, so <gasps> I try and avoid chickpeas because I already am a hummus addict. Um, what about black beans? Yeah, don't mind a black bean, but I'm a bit nervous about preparing them. <laughs> I mean, of all the things to be nervous of, why are you worried about that? Well, because they're you know you've got to drain them and then like you know are you supposed to like boil them for ages or do you eat them cold? I'm just a bit frightened by them. Like I feel like if I was Mexican, I'd be more at home. Just stick them in a frying pan and fry them up. You'll be fine. Add a bit of salt. Kidney beans, anyway. To answer your question, is probably my favourite legume. Let's move on. The stuff you can eat, though. So if you're going on a keto diet, this is what they say: eat this. It's basically a high fat, high protein diet. So meat, eggs, cheese, butter, cream. Healthy oils, olive oil and that kind of stuff, and nuts and seeds. And you can eat green veg. That does not sound very healthy, does it? I mean, all fad diets, in my experience, and I have been on a few, do work, and then you do put the weight back on. Like, everyone knows, don't they, that the only way to actually lose weight is to make permanent lasting changes to your lifestyle. And that's difficult, which is why you're fat in the first place. Yeah, this is a... uh a medical device it works in the same way as a as a breathalyzer an alcohol breathalyzer you blow into it it's got a, ses- a sensor in there which measures uh breath acetones they call it it's actually acetones but i call them acetones because it sounds better and that's what your your body produces those when you're in a state of ketosis uh it's about 100 quid this thing so you kind of have to be quite serious about your sort of your health and fitness if you want to get it yeah but presumably that is a cheap consumer version of 
you know, like you say, it is a medical device. I bet it would cost more than that, wouldn't it, to the NHS, something like that? Oh, yeah, a lot more. You can get desktop devices which, you know, run into the thousands. Does it sync with anything? Does the, does the information just stay on it or can you, like, download it to your phone or whatever? This one doesn't. So this is called the KetoScan Lite. They've got another one called the KetoScan Mini, which does sync with the app. So with this one, you have to write down all of your recordings. So every time you do it, you need to write it down. So we you understand what writing down means, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> we need to need to no. get yourself along to WH Smith. Buy yourself Ollie, what's called Ollie. a pencil. <laughs> it's 2022. Fewer people yeah. write these days. Clasp it between your index finger and your middle finger, using your thumb as a counterweight. Oh, you joke. I genuinely don't think we're that far away from that. It's going to happen <laughs> in the not-too-distant future. But it sounds like you're saying could be a useful tool if you are serious about going on a keto diet. Genuinely, if you're really into your fitness, this is great because it's really convenient. And athletes do use these devices, but they use them to make sure that they're not burning too much fat. We're talking professional athletes here, so they have nutritionists and all kinds of stuff. But that's why they use them. They're not trying Mm. to burn loads and loads of fats. They're just trying to see what metabolic state their body is in. Whether or not the everyday sort of like gym bunny would get one i don't know having said that keto diets are are massive a huge trend yeah i mean in 2020 it was the most googled food related search term what more than can i reheat rice after i've cooked it that's the food (laughs) thing that i put in all the time because i have an argument with my wife about it all the time and the answer is yes you can reheat rice get over it Yes. Oh, no. Yeah, see, I have the same arguments. We have caveats, like once, and you've got to be careful about bacteria, of course. But yes, you can reheat rice. You can reheat rice. Let me keep the the rice. One one person (laughs) once told me that you can get food poisoning from rice, and now I'm absolutely terrified of reheating rice. I'll just never do it ever. But why do people obsess about that particular thing when there's food poisoning from loads of things? Shitting out of my ass for hours on end. The other product we got you to try was the Aura, which is a smart ring, but I understand it got lost in the post. Yeah, it got lost in the post, so I feel like we should just take five seconds to mourn the death of British industry, Ollie man. <laughs> well, particularly Hermes. We say the post, Hermes. For anyone yeah. listening from Hermes, thanks for losing our parcel. Yeah, fuck you. Um, uh, Can I anyway, say that? that? Was a- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it... They genuinely lost it. They've refunded us, haven't they, as a result? Yeah, yeah, they lost it. It, it. Literally, it is sat in a warehouse somewhere. But luckily, we had a third product for you to test as well, and that was the Foreo Serum Microcapsule Youth Preserver. And if I sound like I don't know what that means, that's because I don't. The Bear. Anyway, <laughs> it's a product that um, gives you tighter, brighter skin, the press release says, with T-sonic pulsations. What does that mean? I still don't know, Ollie. It, quite honestly, it sends a, sh- a small microcurrent using these two conductive bits here, the two metal balls, uh, through your face. And the idea is that it engages with the muscles in your face and to to um, work them out and uh-huh. provide your face with a with a workout. That's that's supposedly how it works. Which actually, I mean, if you do go and get a facial from a therapist, then what they do do is they massage your face, right? They stimulate the nerves on the end of your face, and that is... I mean, it makes sense that a machine could, you know, approximate that. Yeah, and maybe I'm getting lost in all the sort of slightly bullshitty marketing spiel that's everywhere about this thing. Um, yeah. But the, the reality is it, it it's a sort of vibrating, tingly thing that feels quite nice on your face. Mm. That's basically what it is. I've been using this most days, and what you do is you link it to your phone. It provides you with three different workouts that you can do. They're called Total Facial Knockout. Mm-hmm. 
contour cardio and gentle v-shaped yoga so what they've gone and done there is taken some genuine sort of like workout names and just added them to yeah. to this device which don't is spend 100 pounds a month on a david lloyd membership yeah yeah hang on i can do cardio by rubbing my face <laughs> i don't think so anyway these are these these workouts are all available on the app you download them uh this connects to your phone and when you click start workout this thing will start vibrating and it takes you through how to do the workout and you have to put the serum on don't you you have to put the serum on so what uh, they call it a microcapsule infused formula uh, and is the ensure- idea to use it instead of moisturiser, or is it pre-moisturiser? No. It's pre-moisturiser. So after okay, so you've done it... it's just like a face wash. It's instead of soap, basically, right? Yeah. Or, or a scrub. Well, no, it's not like a soap at all, actually. I, it, do you know what? It's quite it's quite sticky. It does feel very, very nice. It's quite cooling. It smells quite nice. And, and it claims to have anti-youth-preserving antioxidants in it. So you put this on. That's the first part of the workout as you warm up and this thing starts vibrating and then this voice goes right here we go all right under your contour line no does it talk you through like a peloton talks you through it oh yeah the crowd are going wild it doesn't it does says the crowd are going wild the crowd are going wild you do one up here on the top of your brow like that yeah your t-zone yeah yeah t-zone is that what that's called is it that's your t-zone yeah your forehead and your nose but the problem comes, and this is why I only focused on one of the workouts, is um, when I get to my bearded area, because you do the yes. jawline here, you see. Yeah. And the total facial knockout has less of the bearded area. So that's the one I did the most of. Contour cardio, can't do it. Too much right. beard. Uh, same with the gentle V-shaped yoga. So I just go for the total facial knockout, which is what I've been doing. In fairness to Forio, who make this product, as I said in our last episode, I do have one of their other products at home, a Luna, which I do use because it does feel like it's, I don't know, awakening my face or something when I'm using it. <laughs> like after I use it, I do feel like my skin is somehow smoother. How does it feel? Yeah, it feels really nice. It does right? feel nice. But... You know, when we're talking about spending a couple of hundred pounds on a device that feels a little bit nice on your face, plus the serum, which is 40 quid, is it worth it? Has anyone complimented you on your skin, though? No. I mean, you've hardly left the house. Has Pippa noticed? No. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to say, right, that it's not doing anything. I just think maybe I have to use it for a little bit longer. And I will keep using it. I'm going to keep using it until the 40 quid serum runs out. Yeah, because it feels nice, right? So it's just a nice thing to do. It only takes a couple of minutes. And maybe then I'll start to see a bit of a a bit of a difference. Well, you'll be pleased to know that uh, after a month in which you've been focusing on your health, we have a challenge for next month, which could potentially mean you don't have to leave your office chair. Okay, go on. It's from Alex who says, I can't believe I'm the first to suggest this, but would Ollie Peart like to launch an NFT? An NFT. What is it? A non... Is it fungible? Is that the word? I say fungible, but I don't know that that's right. Fungible. Fungible? I don't even know what fungible means. However you say it, it sounds like a vagina cream, doesn't it? But anyway, one of those, token. So it's a... I'm going to try and explain in layman's terms, but I really don't understand myself. Okay. It, it's a is it a piece of art that you can divide multiple times and then sell bits of through electric currency that that i think is is what it is it's not just art i think you can literally sell you, you can make anything any digital asset an nft so it could be a a document or uh uh right. yeah so like a poem or something or it could be a video clip or it could be a 
photo anything i think you can do and then it it uses the same technology as cryptocurrency to like encrypt it so it's like there's only one of them the other thing i i read about with nfts is that there was this woman who was selling farts in a jar right and uh <laughs> yeah she was selling them for like a thousand pounds each or something and um wow. She's making £30,000 a week, right? That's a lot of farts. So she had to, like, change her diet to make sure she was farting a lot. But she got ill because she was farting too much. So now she just sells NFT farts in a jar. But she had a viable business guffing into glassware. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A viable... thirty. I would argue £30,000 a week is a viable business. It just wasn't sustainable because she, she made her guts ill because she was farting too much. She was just eating too many beans and stuff. I mean, surely you just create a brand and hire other people in other countries to fart in a jar, don't you? Yeah, but but th- th- I, I think the business model was based on the fact that she was a very attractive-looking woman farting in a jar. So it was just creepy men that then got the fart in the jar, opened it, sniffed it, whilst uh, doing horrible, horrible this things. This is why Lady Gaga has a perfume, but she doesn't personally manufacture it, does she? I mean, I tell you what, if Lady Gaga farted in a jar, she would not only be able to sell that for millions, but she probably could sell it as an NFT as well. Uh, if you have a trend that you would like to suggest for Ollie to try out for your benefit, then do head over to our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk, and click feedback. And we must pause to thank our friends at manscaped.com for sponsoring the Zeitgeist. Yeah, it's 2022, Ollie. You don't want hairy balls in 2022. Is that right? Everyone's going to shave off all hair. Yeah, absolutely. And you could join the already four million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Who have not a single hair on their testes. I'm not sure that's quite the product. No, no, not <laughs> I think a single hair. the point hair. of grooming, Ollie, personal grooming, is you can choose, can't you, how you style said hair. That might involve leaving quite a lot, but uh, creating beautiful shapes out of what you have left with the Performance Package 4 from Manscaped. Yeah, inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature lawnmower 4.0. Uh, that's it's so good yeah it is really good isn't it uh it, it, it trims hair this is the, this is the bit it's very good at trimming hair on loose skin now we don't need to go into details as what that loose skin is but you know mm. most shavers are very good at doing it on tight skin but when you know scrotums get in the way don't they, they get in the way but the lawnmower 4.0 is very very good and it reduces the risk of ingrown hairs, and it reduces the risk of grooming accidents, and you can get 20% and free shipping off any product you find at manscaped.com when you use the code M-A-N-N. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code M-A-N-N. Your balls will thank you. Uh, in a moment, you will meet our guest, Jim, who I see is kind of a health story itself. He has his own recommendation for a trend for 2022 of a kind but first music it is time for our record of the month and this month it is shame on you by palace their new album is out on the 19th enjoy
As you know, we absolutely love getting your suggestions of people we should feature on the show, people with stories and experiences you think deserve a wider audience. And back in the summer, manfan Rob emailed us to suggest that we might interview Jim Finch. Uh, and Rob, I am so glad that you did. Thank you very much. What you are about to hear is so powerful and persuasive and genuinely, I think, will make you think more deeply about perhaps some issues that you've never really considered before. A warning, though, that like many of our middle features, some of Jim's story is intense and goes to very dark places. Do check the show notes for more information. Jim lives in an Essex village on England's east coast, and back when our story begins, he's in his late 20s. His school sweetheart, Lou, has just had their first child, Theo, and Jim was working in a sofa warehouse. I finished work early, actually. You know, I was supposed to finish at eight, and the assistant manager said to me, Jim, look, it's ten past seven, you came in well early, I'd done a double shift, and he was like, you can go home. So I was like, oh, do I? And I thought, right, yeah, cool, I'm going to go home. And it was ten past seven. Basically, I was driving home from work as I, you know, it was about an hour's drive. As I got coming into the village that I live in, some lady didn't stop on a, on a my right-of-way T-junction, and she just came in and she just smashed the car from the side. You assume they're going to stop. Or I, I certainly did, because I'd done that journey so many times that every time a car had come from there, they'd stop. So even though you're paying attention, and I remember it got to the point where I thought, they're not going to stop, and the, the, the car then just... Yeah, smashed into me. The car flipped over, spun round. Um, Your car flipped over. My car flipped over, spun round, hit into. Do, do you remember the... that feeling? Yeah, yeah, very well. Um, all of a sudden, everything had just vanished. I just felt like this was the right moment for me to die. I don't know why. That's what I felt like as they hit. I thought, I, it, you know, as they say, that your life flashes before you, but in in those moments. And mine was kind of the kind of the life that I wasn't going to live, and it was just kind of like, well, if this is, I, I submitted fully to the idea that I was going to die in that moment. You know, I, I really did just, and I was so peaceful. And then when it all stopped and and the car came back round, and I was sitting up, the bit where the horn is in the middle of a steering wheel was smoking. Well, it, no, I thought it was smoking, so I thought the car was on fire. So then I'm like, oh, well, I don't like the idea of the car being on fire, so I'm frantically trying to get out. I can't quite get out the door. I managed to kick the door open, I get out the car, and I collapse on the road. And luckily, what, what time of day was it? It's evening. This, yes, this was about probably quarter to eight. It was summer, so it was still light. Okay. You know, it was still light. I collapsed on the... And luckily, there was a nurse in the car behind me and wow. coming the other way was a paramedic and so they were there almost instantly the male passenger of the woman who drove into me's car just got out screaming at her and 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 saying sorry mate sorry mate and i just kind of in a delirium i remember that uh, the ambulance came they put me in a stretcher and i'd been in hospital probably about eight hours and I was desperate for a cigarette. And so they were like, do you want to stay in and we do further monitoring or do you want to go? And so I thought, oh, no, I'll go and have a cigarette. I don't think there's anything wrong with me. And, so uh, you checked yourself out? They offered me to be checked out. You know, they said, we can keep you in a bit longer or you can go, you know, and just monitor. So it was, it was kind of like a choice. They, they gave me the choice and I 
chose to leave straight away. I was like, yeah, I want to go home. At this point, you know, it's six in the morning. I'd, I'd been at work all day, you know, and, and uh, my wife and my mum were with me. And I remember we came home and I remember sitting on the sofa and I was being like, oh, I'm so lucky that weren't worse. Like if I'd been in my other car, because I, I was in a yeah, big Volkswagen Passat estate, you know, a big heavy car. And it, I, I had like a little Ford, you know, it was an old car, I wouldn't have made, I, I doubt, I very doubt I would have made the car crash. You know, I would have survived. Yeah. There's a lot of things to be thinking about, aren't there? Particularly if you've just had a son as well, especially at that moment when it's your first one. Like everything's then all about him, isn't it? You're going to be thinking, I need to get better as soon as possible for him. The guy that had headhunted me as well, he had been brought in to the business to help turn it around. So it was in a, a, a period of fluctuation, you know, a lot of stock issues, a lot of problems. And he needed me back. And when I first rang him, he was so okay. Take all the time you need, but, you know, come back. And so I, I t- took two weeks off. I went back to work. And I shouldn't have. My ribs were still hurting. I was still in agony. But it was a sense of duty. I wanted to provide for the family. It was about a week after that. I was like, no, I can't do this. Like, I really need some more time off. I was just in agony. My, all my muscles were hurting. My back was hurting. And I was in the warehouse, you, you know, it's moving sofas yeah. around. And even when, the, you know, they have to make reasonable adjustments. Then I was just standing on a, the computer in the warehouse, standing all day. Oh, oh, yeah. And it really got to me over the next few months. Like, I really, it built up. The pain wasn't going. I couldn't understand why the pain wasn't going. And I was obsessed with how peaceful I was at that moment where I thought I was going to die. So when I had the car crash, I turned, I remember when the smoke was coming out of the steering wheel, I turned round and where they'd hit was where my son's car seat was. And it was completely crumpled, completely, completely destroyed. You know, it would have been absolutely horrific had somebody been in that car seat. And in my dream, every night, that was what was happening. So I was waking up in these cold sweats. I wasn't sleeping. I was having these horrible dreams. My, my, you know, I was having to go to work, working shift patterns. From this vantage point years later, what you're describing sounds like post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Did you know that's what it was at the time? No, not a clue. I, I honestly, at the time, I thought I'd cheated fate. And I thought that I was meant to die and that all this pain was just because that I was supposed to be dead. It really messed my... I'd never experienced anything like that before, you know, any sort of... I'd always been a man, you know, and I know that's... Uh, I, I almost laugh when I say that now because I, I realise how detrimental that was actually to my health and this period of my life. What, trying to keep up a front of... Keep up I a front cope. of, I'm a cope, I'm fine. Oh, it was only a car crash. I didn't have any scratches, but, right, you know, not thinking of oh, anything, oh, shake these dreams off. Not thinking, you know, just trying to carry on like like I hadn't just been through what I'd been through. Yeah. And we drove down to Cornwall. My wife had drove down to Cornwall. And when I got there, I just remember, like, sobbing. And it was, I don't remember sobbing like that ever before. And I was just in this pain and my missus was worried and she just said, look, you can't do your what your job anymore. I said, no, no, I still can. And then I went back to the office or back to the warehouse. And my first night, I remember coming home and just sobbing again, like I had on holiday, just like I, I hadn't, I couldn't process 
all I was processing in was like, I was supposed to die. I'm not supposed to still be here. I'm not supposed to be at work. You know, that's why I'm in this pain and I can't cope with it. Like, And they're not having any medical or psychological support at this point apart no. from, from your family I've, I mean I've got some painkillers from the doctor you sure. know at this point I think I was on the cocodamos um, so yeah and did you start googling around like I'm no, having these feelings or you just completely internalised it really? I, I started um, looking up if uh, suicide was covered by my life insurance and started researching how to kill yourself did you say that to your wife no was that something that you were very serious about doing? That doesn't sound like a cry for help. It wasn't a cry for help. It was, I was, I believed that I needed to die. I was supposed to die in the car crash. The feeling that I got of just peace, I, I didn't want to deal with the pain. I didn't want to deal with all these feelings I was suppressing of not being able to be a man, not being able to work. Or I'd been the bread earner for all our relationship, pretty much, you know, the higher salary, taking Lou out like and I knew our relationship was never built on that but it was it was deep within me that I needed to be doing this you know and so I never addressed any of it um my friend had died he was traveling in New Zealand and he unfortunately drowned and I was actually planning on killing myself the weekend I found out he had drowned and uh yeah all my friends were really busted up and even at that time I didn't see what me taking my own life would have done to those people I, I couldn't see it even though I was sad I was like right I'm just going to wait to his funeral and then I'll do do me so that everybody's not and I remember New Year's Eve for example I wrote all my friends these little letters and they all thought it was really weird nice because you know it was my favourite things about them all and yeah I knew that that was going to be the memory they had of me that makes sense yeah and so yeah um, I remember the, fu- the funeral was over uh, it was the day before and I thought right n- now's the day you know there was, it was just that's it this is to my, to my day I had, I had a bit of I had a, a tear up when I said goodbye to me son you know I went and I said goodbye to him he was sitting out there and I was like right as soon as she takes him up to the bath I'm just going to go out to the thingy and so Mrs picks son up goes upstairs to take to the bath and uh my dog starts going nuts. She's like, she's cottoned on to something, what I'm up to or something, and she starts going nuts. So I shut her in, in here, and I just go out to the garage, and obviously, like, the dog just carried on going absolutely nuts. So Lou comes down, and the, yeah, so the dog saved me life. Uh, if Lou, if the dog hadn't have gone crazy um, and alarmed Lou, she would never have gone into the garage, and I would never have been alive. And it was her face. She walked into the garage and I saw her face and she had Theo in her arms. She was like, she was like, look at, and, I, and at that moment, I realised it almost like hit me. Shit, what am I doing to Lou? What am I doing to the other people in my life? I need help. And so, I, you know, I burst into tears. Lou's burst into tears. I promise her I'll go get help. So the next day I go to the... Um, the doctors, they refer me to the mental health services who do like an interview. Didn't take me long to get a referral to Malden, which is a, a town nearby. You know, they've got mental health services there. They gave me some drugs and they said, fine. Two days later, I was driving in my car to an appointment and I drove past the site of the crash. And a white van came from the same 
side as the the woman who had hit me and I uh, my neck just started jerking I just started, started shouting cunt and then uh, the whole journey home I was shouting cunt fuck off getting really scared like what is going on why are these noises coming out of me pulled up at the appointment and I couldn't walk I couldn't op- I couldn't walk out the car I couldn't do you know I'd um, I, I was stuttering, I was shouting, I, you know, all of and these... that had never happened before, none ne- of those symptoms? Nothing had ever happened like that before. Very, very soon after, almost I think when I got to the appointment, I went out to see the uh, chiropractor, or tried to get help from them about what was going on, and... Uh, he said, oh, I think you've... I think this is Tourette's, you know. And, and actually, the... The swearing was Tourette's, but the fit and the fits and the seizures are this uh, non-epileptic attack syndrome or disorder or uh, seizures. Or so there was a lot going on, and 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 so there was a, there was a while we thought it was just like sudden onset of Tourette's, and the physical pain is exacerbated by these violent body movements. So if you imagine I'm suffering from a pretty serious case of whiplash, and then my neck is being thrown violently across to the side every 10 seconds uh, you know causing me extreme agony in the bits that were already hurting so much that I couldn't work um so at this point in my life I was um absolutely I knew I needed to live for Lou and I knew suicide was no longer an option but my existence had become so terrible yeah, it was an awful time. How chronic was the Tourette's then? Um, so you said you were getting out of the car and you were uncontrollably shouting. It's con- yeah, it was constant. So my my symptoms from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, um, and I didn't go to bed without you know all the painkiller med and all the meds that I was on. You know, the first day that it was up, I was up for you know forty eight hours, just violently shaking, unable to control my body, and my arms moving, my head's moving, really. Yeah, you know, I I didn't know Tourette's could be like that. I didn't know that these uh, these neurological problems could uh, have such extreme violent symptoms. And you know, it was uh, and I say violent as in um, because they're so sudden. You know, they never whenever aimed at anybody or or hurt myself physically, but they mm. were violent as in you know I could throw myself off the chair. You yeah. know, I could fall off the bed. I could smash my head against a wall. Um, yeah, and so... Um, and I didn't know that you could start having the symptoms of Tourette's as a result of a trauma. I mean, I actually thought Tourette's was something people were born with. That's as much as I know. Did yeah. you know that that was possible? So, it's a highly contested issue as it goes, actually. And uh, there was a period of my life where I had facial squints. So, mm-hmm. I remember when I was about 16, I had like a compulsion to poor facial squint. It was around about the time of my GCSEs and then I had another squint at the um, at the time of my parents' divorce. So it happened like twice in my life, which is, which is Tourette's. You know, we associate Tourette's with um, swearing, but yeah. actually... It's a tick. It's a tick. Yeah. And so I, I did have ticks as a child, but that they were very brief, very went away. Um but you no, know, at that point, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I thought I had a brain bleed. I thought I had a brain injury. I, that's what I thought was going on. And incidentally, I mean, I'm just curious, I think a lot of people listening will be, the fact that you reach for the C word, which is pretty much the most offensive thing you can shout out, is there any conscious element of that? Is there a part of your brain that's thinking the word before you say it? Or No, 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 it just comes out. This is it. It's, um, it's like a sneeze. 
you know, it's the best way to describe it. It's just there. And, and it's, fr- you know, fr- when that happened, I was freaking out because, I you know, I wasn't in control. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I used to manage a lot of people and they're people that live around here and, you know, seeing them on the street, shouting at them, you know, uh, my tics can be very racist, uh, you know, and this is a horrible thing. You know, so I, you know, I f- feel like, that's not a part of my character. So it brings mm. up a lot of conflict. You know, you say this stuff to somebody who's just walking down the street and it's... Uh, I went from a middle-class upbringing, a white male upbringing with probably more privilege than I could have ever comprehended at that time to all of a sudden, anywhere I go, everybody's staring at me. Everybody's staring at me, even if they don't mean to. If somebody's shouting, you're looking because mm. it's a natural reaction how did your parents react when they saw your tics? It's awkward, isn't it? So it was it was very awkward, you know, uh, and it wasn't it wasn't for a while till my mum understood them, you know, and I don't think my dad still does if I'm honest, you know. Uh it wasn't till my mum shouted at me once um over a, you know something um and it sent me into a seizure. Then all of a sudden I'm in a seizure and uh once my mum saw me seizure just on the fact that she'd raised her voice slightly, she was like, oh, you know, this is way more serious than I thought it was. Uh, even my mum thought it was. Um, so you were put on a bunch of medication to try and deal with all of these complex neurological and physical problems. Yeah, and I was on a lot, you know. I was on the lorazepam, diazepam, morphine, co- codeine, anotriptyline, uh, diet. I think I've said lorazepam and diazepam, um, risperidone. I was on one, yeah, this one pill, and they gave me it for one day, and uh, I was just reciting my NHS number over and over. My missus thought that, like, something terrible had happened, but this drug, they don't normally prescribe it anymore. It's like an old 70s psych drug. And, yeah, it made me lose my mind, you know, and this was something they were willing to give me. Mm. And uh, so on my journey, that's always been... Uh, a, a difficult memory to have of how messed up these pills they put me on did. My tics weren't as violent, but I would have a lot more seizures. So I'd have a lot more fits on the floor for, say, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then, you know, a period of calm for 10 minutes, perhaps, and then another one. My stutter was still terrible. Uh, I was... I'd lose in my hair. Um, there was blood in my stools all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, so at this point, this stuff's happening to me. I'm like, I can't carry on on pills. I can't do it. I've got to, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better option. And I was chatting to a friend. I, I used to play an online game and uh, we're all still in a WhatsApp and we've been, we, we migrated from our MSN days. One of the guys in there was like, Jim, in Canada, they treat people with your condition with cannabis. Have you tried it? And I thought, I, I looked at my missus and I'm like, I don't think, I don't know if I want to, try it again you know it really weren't good for me you know all those years ago and talking at this time it's probably been a decade since you know and um yeah she looked at the speak she uh but i went on youtube and i just thought i'll see if anybody's talking about it you know and i typed in cannabis and tourette's and this video came up of a guy who almost had exactly the same symptoms as me the stutter the noises the movement problems and he smokes this joint of cannabis and it all disappears and me and me missus are looking at each other like 
no, this can't be right. Uh, so I ring my mate who I knew would have a contact. He put me in the contact. Ten minutes later, literally ten minutes later, I had some at my door. We, I, I, I knew how to roll it because I'd been a smoker so you know tobacco smoker at that time so I rolled myself this little joint did you ask what you were going to get though no ask, no, just asked just, cannabis yeah, yeah I just said can you drop me I, I explained to him that I was going to try and use it medicinally you know, medicinally and he dropped it off I smoked it and everything stopped my tick stuff for the first time in seven months I just dropped to my knees and started crying I could not believe that this plant could give me such relief we could not believe that like this plant that we could grow in our garden you know it doesn't take much skill to put a seed in the ground and, and water it could change my life in ten minutes in you know less than ten minutes probably five minutes like you know, 15 minutes from watching this video, I, I my life had been changed. You know, it was it was. Did you physically relax? As physically well? relaxed. My Describe how that felt. You're fighting your body all day, every day. You know, you're getting no respite. You can't control it. You can't control your legs, your arms, any of it. And then all of a sudden, your my stutter went. I was able to talk. I could stand up. I could walk about. I could dance. I could do whatever I, I wanted to do again. So we were how do I get this? Was the next step. How do I get this? At this point, I should tell you that the whole time we've been talking, Jim has been occasionally pausing to take small puffs from his vaporizer. Inside is a little capsule containing a flower. That flower is 0.2 grams of skunk, his hourly prescription. Next, Jim explains what he's had to sacrifice to get his cannabis legally. And you'll hear what he sounds like when he hasn't taken his medicine. That's after this. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever been in a situation where something is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Because I've been there and have really struggled. My mental health has stopped me performing the way that I wanted to at work. I know Ollie Mann would agree with that as well. And doing things that I want to do as well. It stopped me from enjoying uh, things that I used to enjoy. And I reached out to get help and it took a very, very long time. Eventually, I did get help. But for some people, that's a little too late. Well, there's a new way that you can get help. Better help. That's a service that will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. This is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which you may not find available to you where you live at the moment. And this is available worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response from them. And you can also schedule weekly video and phone sessions so you don't ever have to wait in a rubbish waiting room with crap magazines on the table. Another thing is that it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy. And if you need it, financial aid is available. 
You can visit their website to read testimonials that they have there. They're posted daily. You visit betterhelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P. And join over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. And even better, there's a special offer for Modern Man listeners, of course. You can get 10% off your first month if you visit betterhelp.com forward slash modern man. That's M-A-N-N. Welcome back. Let's return to my conversation with Jim Finch now, who you can find online at youtube.com slash Jim Finch, because once he'd seen the benefits that cannabis had on alleviating his Tourette's, he decided to make some videos of his own. And in his videos, just as in the video that he saw that first inspired him to try cannabis, Jim asked his wife and carer, Lou, to first film him unmedicated so that viewers can see his Tourette's in full swing and then medicated after taking some puffs on his vaporizer to show the dramatic difference in his speech and body movements. This is what Jim sounds like without his medication. What are we doing today, Jim? Today, the speak. Fuck off. Fuck off. Today, I'm gonna be showing speak. Today, I'm gonna be showing you the profound effects. My 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 cannabis prescription has on my condition. And how are you feeling at the moment? I'll be honest. It's 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 pretty exhausting and pretty painful. Throughout our interview, Jim has been taking his medication, openly. But his first experimentations were with cannabis from the black market. Fortunately, the law had recently changed, and Jim was able to get a referral from his GP to a private medical cannabis centre in London. He made sure he was prepared for his consultation. I knew that it was legal. I knew that these were the first doctors prescribing it. I researched everything. I was, you know, up at six. I was down at eight, just looking up cannabis. Now, if you listen to nice guidelines where it's like, oh, there's no benefit for cannabis at all, you know, you're ignoring all the evidence around the world. And so I started looking up all the evidence from Canada, from America, from Israel. Israel's got a lot of research on it. And um, so I filled myself with knowledge because I wanted to be prepared and I wanted to be able to talk the same language as the doctor. We went in and I was talking a different language to the doctor. He didn't know nothing. He didn't know about terpenes. He didn't know about cannabinoids. He didn't, well, he knew about THC and CBD, but you know, there's hundreds of them. He didn't know about the flavonoids. And, and so I, I'm there, you know, shaking. It's been quite a traumatic thing. Like, me, me ticks are bad. I'm still on all my medication. And I thought this guy was going to know. And afterwards, he just wanted my money. You know, he was... Maybe not. Maybe that's unfair. But it was a company, you know. And he was a doctor, and I've, he's well more versed in it now, three years on. I've seen him give speeches, and he seems to know a lot more about the endocannabinoid system, the terpenes, the flavonoids, the cannabinoids. But at the time, he didn't. He just was like, 
Okay, you, you say cannabis flower helps you? Yeah, okay. Now, I'd got a few more bits on the black market, and I'd had an experience where one bit sent me into a seizure. Sent me straight in. I've had the puff, was hoping for the relief, and bang, I'm gone into a seizure. What was that? That's called a sativa. So you've got three main types of cannabis. You have indicas, sativas, and ruderalis. Now, indicas, and this is just a rule of thumb, it's not uh, absolute, but indicas are very sedative, tend to be relaxing. Sativas tend to be uplifting, energizing. And ruderalis tend to grow really quickly, but actually have quite dull effects. And, And, you know, as a plant, it's not used very much. And it was actually my the drug dealer, the, the local neighbourhood drug dealer, who explained all this to me. And he explained in detail to me that some sativas are uplifting and that everybody's cannabinoid system was unique. So I thought a doctor was going to know as much as this guy, and the doctor didn't have a clue, you know. <laughs> and so I'm telling the doctor, well, I've had a sativa before, and it sent me into a seizure, so I only want the indicas. The main stuff sold in Britain at the moment uh, comes from three sources. You have uh, Israel, there's a place in Canada, and then there's also a place in Spain. And that's where we get our flowers from. Ironically, Britain exports 85% of the world's medical cannabis that is that passes over borders. Like That's not allowed to be used in Britain. And the stuff that you got on prescription then... What's the process? Because you can't go to Boots with it, can you? How do you get it delivered to you? It comes, it's delivered to your door. From a postie? You know, it's all tracked, it's got to be signed for, they have to take pictures of you with it in your house, right. so oh, you have to show your photo ID, so it's a bit more than getting a parcel, but it, yeah, it's... And how, what, what mechanic company. does it arrive in? Because I presume um, you're not smoking uh, pot when they send it to you. Yeah, uh, don't, uh, they're little pots, so they're little pots. I've got, uh, oh, here's one. So this is this is what my prescription comes. This is my prescription. So it's this, a white tub. It looks like pseudocrem or something. Yeah, and then inside it's just your cannabis. And that's that's pure, is it? That isn't skunk. That is skunk. Yeah. So skunk is the name of a particular type of strain of cannabis. So it's an indica strain. Well, I've heard right. Sure. Phone in radio, magazine articles, talking to mates. Skunk fucks you up because it's mixed with other stuff. Cannabis, pure cannabis. That's the stuff they used to smoke in the sixties. That's fine. There are nearly 10, I think over 10,000 strains of cannabis. Each strain has a different makeup of terpenes, flavonoids, cannabinoids, and each way it's grown will bring out certain aspects of the plant. So you could have two seeds that are identical, grow them in different conditions, and the plants will come out completely different. You can't just say, oh, skunk. What they, what they were... Tr- I think they might mean spice, but or it might just be blatant propaganda. Like, because actually, on my investigation, skunk is a strain. This stuff, how do you take it then? So, in a vaporizer, you, I take 0.2 grams in a little capsule, in a dosing capsule. I put it into my vaporizer, and uh, I inhale that. And, um, and is that something that anyone would use recreationally? It's not like a bong, is it? They are people are using it now because it's such a healthy way to consume it. It has hardly it has no tar, so it's um, you know right. it's much better than smoking it. But do you have those side effects that people worry about when they take it too much recreationally? That you're sleepy, that you're hungry. I mean, yeah, 
some strains cause hunger, some don't. And, and, you know, so I don't always get hungry. But sleepy, you know, it gets to probably about four o'clock, I have a half hour nap, you know, and then I wake up. But then there's the cost. I mean, it's one thing to sell a second car in a desperate situation to go and see the doctor who can prescribe you cannabis once. It's another thing to say, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be paying for a private prescription for cannabis. How much does that cost? At the moment, my prescription costs me £665 a month. Wow. Every three months, you have to have a consultation, which costs £65, and for a repeat prescription, it costs £30. And then I'm prescribed four grams of uh, flour a day, uh, which uh, comes to six... It's a hundred... I'm on a project with subsidised medicine. Uh, so there is uh, a company called Drug Science running a uh, project for... Uh, so that the costs come down. Because before I was paying, you know, £1,200 for 10 days' worth, whereas now I'm paying £600 for 30 days' worth. So the the, the costs have dropped... But still, I mean that you know that's the price of rent or a mortgage, isn't it? It's the price of mortgage. We're actually selling our house. We're 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 packing up at the moment, and we're going to be selling it in February to move in with the in-laws, so that we can better afford uh, afford the medication and and you know the 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 better quality of life. It's how do you feel about that? Because like this is a big sort of hot debate at the moment, isn't it, as to whether elderly people should have to sell their house to have care. You're in your early thirties. You're basically selling your house so you can have the drugs you need. Yeah, it's horrible. You know, I've fought hard over the last two years trying to get answers from my MP, trying to make the video showing how profound the cannabis is. Speak! How profound the cannabis is on my on my symptoms. And um, yeah, been palmed off, passed from pillar to post. The government, it doesn't fit their paradigm of being able to collect data, so they, they're not interested. They're not interested in my real-life experience and the, the, the benefit of my quality of life or the fact that, you know, it's given me my life back. But I'll be honest, you know, I'm looking at growing my own in, in a uh, protest. You know, I, I haven't yet seen a solid argument as to why I shouldn't be growing my own or shouldn't be allowed to grow my own. In reality, if you don't, I'm not advocating it, but if you had a room in your house now where you were growing it under blue lights, is anyone going to send the police around, bearing in mind it is clearly for your own consumption you have this health issue? I mean, I wonder if it is just in a grey area where they just turn a blind eye. They will send the police around. They do bust in disabled people's doors all the time. Um, uh, It never gets took by the CPS but the police have a duty to investigate crime. So if the police, if it's if they find out, if they've got suspicion, they will knock your door in. They will drag you off with your wheelchair. I know people who have had their wheelchairs taken with them. And, and they will, you know, I know a lady who's doing a suspended sentence. She's terminally ill and she's growing it to help with her pains. She was sentenced to two years suspended sentence uh, and for growing her own uh, plants. And that's kind of all that's open to you, by the way, isn't it? If you can't afford the £600 a month, by the sounds of it. Well, you have another choice. You can take the risk with the black market. I'm very fortunate in the guy that I get it from assures me he knows where it's grown. But we ha- can't deny the fact that the majority of the cannabis grown in Britain is grown by slaves. But that's the truth of it, you know. And so if you're not growing your own, you're potentially contributing to a slave industry so you talk about people who have been trafficked basically pe- people that have been trafficked an awful lot are found with trafficked southeast asian migrants watering the plants <laughs> speak and 
that horrifies me. You know, I can't be a part of that. That's why my option is, you know, I can't spend £600 a month. I can't. I need this medicine to live my life. There's an injustice, you know, that you think... Um, you think that the government have got your best interests in mind. And it's clear to me, um, with this cannabis issue, they do not have my best interests in mind. You know, they don't have... The thousands of other patients. They estimate 1.3 million people, this was a polling done, use cannabis for medicinal purposes in the UK right now. 1.3 million people facing prison for, for using a medicine because they don't want to take the pharmaceuticals they were on. I mean, I guess there will be some people listening to this, and I, I, it's difficult, I can't make up hypothetical stories because it's not my experience, but I'm sure there's some people listening to you now who will have experiences like... Yes, but my son has mental health problems and he took cannabis because he was told it would make him better and it made him worse, made him more paranoid. All the things you're describing as being alleviated by cannabis, some people will say, actually, I've seen examples where it's it's caused those kind of, it's caused someone to feel more paranoid or to have feelings of self-harm and that kind of thing. That's one of the reasons, isn't it, that they haven't legalised it. We're lucky now because it's less theory and we can, we can look at other countries and we can say, what happens if it's legalised? You know, Canada, 30-odd years, people using it medically allowed to grow their own. You know, and it's only Britain and France that has this psychosis narrative. You know, none of the other countries around the world actually have that narrative to do with cannabis, which is a bizarre phenomenon for our country. People like to blame things. And with cannabis... Cannabis creates homeostasis. You know, that's kind of what it does. It kind of, you know, if people with pain, it alleviates their pain. It's so wide what it can do, which would also mean there are obviously some harms that can become of it, but what doesn't have harm? Horse riding comes with harm. I know driving, you know, driving is very dangerous. My whole life has been changed from driving. I know diazepam is a big problem in Scotland. You know, so why is that allowed to be prescribed and and over prescribed uh you know arguably you know do i do i think that anybody should use cannabis whenever they wanted probably not but as a medicine i think it should almost be a first port of call you know if you've Obviously, over 21, and lots of people who have complex mental health problems, those problems do start before you're 21. And cannabis is known to bring out, it's proven, it can bring out those problems that are already developing or lingering there. But it's also proven that no matter where in the world, can, how what their laws are, how many of the population uses cannabis, the rates of schizophrenia stay at 1%. Globally, they're the rates everywhere. You know, you've got places like Jamaica where 40% of the population have tried cannabis in a year. They've still got 1% psychosis. So if it was a real danger, you would start seeing higher levels of psychosis in countries with higher usage, but you just don't. And so I think a lot of these arguments, while they're true, they're not took in context. You know, actually, these 1%, unfortunately... If it wasn't cannabis, it might have been alcohol. If it wasn't alcohol, it would have been tobacco. If it wasn't tobacco, it could have been caffeine. All of these things have also been linked to to onsetting of psychosis, but it's not portrayed in the same way. You've mentioned a few times that you've met other people in your circumstance. How's that come about then? So is it through the internet? Yeah, Yeah, Twitter, Reddit, YouTube videos, and I set up a Discord community where other medical patients or just 
cannabis users could join and ask questions about the the process of becoming legal because actually it's very easy to get a legal cannabis prescription if you've got money in Britain. You know, it's not reserved for... I've heard some people say it, and it's not my personal opinion, but I've heard some people say, oh, you need cannabis, Jim. I only use it for my anxiety. You know, I've had other patients say that to me, like... But to me, it's not about that. It's about the fact that why is there a double standard in the industry? Why can I go and pay for it and that change my life for the better? But if I want it on the NHS, which I've, I had paid tax, you know, I, I'd earned well, I'd paid me taxes all the way up until my car crash. Why can't I access the health service I've paid for? You know, I always say we never had any debts before I had my car crash. They were bills. And all of a sudden they became debts because we couldn't pay them. You know, do we go to the food bank? Do we buy Christmas presents for the kids? And so this is why we're moving in with the in-laws. Um, you know, so that's just, that sustainability becomes easier. And then, you know, once that's easier, like I said, I'll probably grow my own. <laughs> you know, I'll probably do it in protest. I'm probably going to let the police know I'm doing it. Uh, you know, I, this is the stage I'm at now. I, I just don't see how... Uh, I can't see how a jury of my peers would convict me as a criminal for wanting to walk and talk. Like, I just can't, I can't, I've got to the point now where I'm like, I can't see that happening. You know, I trust, I trust my fellow countrymen enough that I think if I, one day I go to court, yeah, I don't take no medicine. They'll see how brutal things are for me. The next day I go in and I puff in on this thing, it doesn't even produce a cloud and all of a sudden I can talk and walk and they're going to be like, well, I can send him to prison for this. But again, the law is the law. So you don't know if they're... The judge will tell them you've got to send him to prison because he's been breaking the law. You know, because that's the law. And you just got to hope that they go against the judge and be like, no, this is wrong. And that's how, you know... And I know there are a lot of other patients taking that stand as well and um, contacting the local police forces and saying, we're growing, come and arrest us. We want to be tried in front of a jury of our peers to set precedent, you know... Uh, We've sent a lot of people with, you know, in wheelchairs, a lot of disabled people to prison in the last 30 years because they've chose cannabis. And why do people choose cannabis? These sick and disabled people ain't choosing cannabis because they want to get high. They're choosing it as an alternative to the prescription meds that ruin you. They ruin your gut. They ruin your hair. They ruin, they ruin your, your, your motivation. And yes, there is a place and a time for them, but they are... If you've got a long-term disability like myself, like long, you haven't got a long term to live on pills. And in the past year, your wife's had another child. Yeah. Would that have happened, do you think, if you hadn't no been way. taking cannabis? No way. I couldn't get an erection. I'll be honest with you. When I was on these pills, I didn't get an erection the whole time. So how could I have had a child? I thought I'd never had a child again. And it was after we found cannabis that I started getting myself back, getting my life back. We then found out about me, me baby, and uh, her due date was the 25th of December. So when we found out we were pregnant again, and we both wanted more kids, you know, and we found out it was, it was a special Christmas present from the universe. Jim Finch. Needless to say, his experiences are his. You are a different person. If you're considering taking cannabis medicinally, then do consult your GP first. And if, like Jim, you do ever have thoughts of suicide, 
please remember there's always someone to talk to. The number for the Samaritans is in our show notes. Coming up next, your sex questions with Alex Fox. That's the Foxhole after this. Right, let's let it all hang out. It is the Foxhole with Alex Fox. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ollie. I'm tumbling my way into a 2022 full of more enticing temptations than a room full of big red buttons marked do not press. I'm feeling good. I've not heard the word tumbling associated with anything sexual since the demise of Tumblr. So that was uh, a blast from the past. You weren't exposed to that uh, mum's net chit chat about the uh, the sex speaker then or the sex tumbler. <laughs> no. Uh, There was a long discourse online about uh, a woman whose uh, husband kept a beaker of cold water next to the bed to immediately perform ablutions on his knob uh, straight after sex. And she was under the impression that this was a very standard thing and that everybody had like the the post knob sex tumbler. And um, uh, people were then informed that no, she was she and her Tupperware titillations were indeed not part of the course. <laughs> Did they have a shared bathroom? Were they in an apartment block or something? I could imagine that might necessitate such a device. Or I did wonder whether it might even have a religious influence. You know, some people mm. really strongly associate the need to be cleansed after yes. sex with being closer to God. But no, I think it was just somebody who had perhaps verging on obsessional tendencies regarding uh, hygiene and uh, not being covered in sticky substances. But yeah, maybe there was a shared bathroom issue. Either way, I would be very, very careful what receptacle I accepted for a drink at their house. Right, time for our first listener-submitted sex question of the year, brought to you by TheHandy.com. Yes, Handy is a machine for deluxe stroking, imitation poking and next-level chicken choking of your dangling bloke thing. And our question this month comes from Anonymous, our most frequent contributor, uh, and they say, Alex, why are feet sexualized? They're virtually the same on everybody, regardless of gender or orientation. So in theory should be as sexual as elbows. I mean, you could say that about arseholes as well, couldn't you? But but we find ourselves looking at each other's feet and feeling a bit scandalous when outside, barefoot. I wonder, if we look at bare feet simply because they're normally covered by shoes and socks in our society, but then I move to a warm climate in which people are often barefoot or wearing flip-flops, and even there, people looked at each other's feet... I wonder whether this writer is one of these people that they're describing. Uh, The only plausible explanation I've come up with is that the extraordinary number of nerve endings in feet make them a source of tactile pleasure, as in a walk on wet grass or getting a foot massage. But it seems odd that men seem inclined to put a woman's foot in their mouth when making love. Bit of a generalisation there. (laughs) To my knowledge, no other species do this. Why on earth do we? Well, to start us off, I've looked up some uh, some foot fetish facts, and our letter writer there is correct there that going giggity giggity over little piggies is much more common in men than women. Um, research papers into podophilia, which is its uh, correct clinical term and Ooh. one that you have to pronounce very yeah. very carefully, dangerously yeah, exactly. close to something else, isn't it? Yeah, horrifyingly. Um, Yeah, research papers suggest that after sort of standard sexual body parts like boobs and bums and genitalia... Standard. Feet 
are the most frequently fetishised part of the female body. Um, Justin Leigh Miller, who I've mentioned on the show before, who wrote an amazing study called Tell Me What You Want that was uh, turned into a book, reported that actually one in seven people have uh, said that they've had a sexual fantasy involving feet. But that doesn't always mean that they actually have a fetish about feet. You might have a fantasy that includes someone's boobs and someone's arse, but also includes their hair. It doesn't mean you're a hair fetishist, does it? It means, you know, you also find hair attractive. No, and that's Justin's point. People who said that they had thought about feet in a sexualized context are not necessarily saying that they have a fetish. A fetish in its purest form means that something almost universally has to be present in order for you to get off. So if you were the pu- a purest foot fetishist, you would only be able to achieve the peak of sexual pleasure if you were concentrating solely but um, on feet. Um, for other people, it'll be a milder kink, so it'll be something that they would quite like to think about or like to involve in their sex life fairly frequently, but it doesn't need to be present all the time. And then there will be people who will be encompassed in Justin Leigh Miller's study who uh, can dip, dip their toes in, um, but it's not, and it doesn't exclusively have to be present for them permanently when they're between the sheets. What he's more saying is that it's not unusual to think about feet, but the patterns of sexuality and of sex that are reported by people who think sometimes about feet match those who are actually more purist fetishists too um on this note i did try and see if i could find anybody in my audience uh, through social media who was a straight woman who was into feet mm. um, the closest i could get admittedly in a fairly small time period uh, was a, a pansexual non-binary person called Kristen, who told me that they first realized that feet had the potential to tickle them when they watched uh, the the video for Placebo's track, Pure Morning, and got turned on by Brian Molko walking down the side of a building with bare feet. Right. I heard from a lot of gay men uh, who said that they were they were into foot stuff as well, uh, including a professional foot dominant named Ryan, uh, who gets a lot of bookings for his uh, size 15 plates of meat. I do wonder how much of this, as ever in the foxhole, when we talk about these kinds of peccadilloes how much of this has been influenced by porn not just because foot fetish porn is a category and it's something that you can find much more easily than you would have been able to say 20 years ago but also in the filming of it i mean it makes sense doesn't it that if something's in the foreground you know (laughs) that isn't a penis or a fanny it could be a foot and the genitals could be out of focus in the background i can see that the way things have been filmed might have put an emphasis on feet that otherwise wouldn't be there in people's sexual fantasies. Well, perhaps particularly if they've been filmed by Quentin Tarantino, who's one of yeah, he's a few got real celebrity pedophiles, yeah. including Andy Warhol, who reputedly kept a mummified foot by his bedside. Um, what you're positing there is a new theory to me, but a very interesting one. <laughs> That's what I specialise in. <laughs> you're putting it very diplomatically. <laughs> I'm treading carefully, you might say. I've been back at um, school. I'm That's an interesting that. theory, Oliver. I've not heard that one before. <laughs> Let's talk about it later. Uh, well, I'm going to add that to a plethora of theories. Our letter writer has asked, why? 
why are feet a thing for so many people and in particular so many straight men and there is not one answer to this there's quite a few that have been suggested um i spoke about this in quite a lot of depth with a guy i know i've known for years called soul server i met him a long time ago at a, a female dominant worship club called pedestal uh, where he would come along with a kit full of uh, gadgets and gizmos to specifically service women's feet and so we had a chit chat about some of the theories explaining foot fetishes that are out there. Um, one of the dominant ones suggests that when babies are at the crawling stage, one of the things they see regularly um, is their mother's feet. Mm. And so they come to associate the female foot with care, with nurture, with comfort, with food, uh, perhaps even with breasts if they're breastfed as well. So there might be might more of a sexual connection there. Um, another theory that I chatted about with Sol is that because feet are the lowest part on a woman's body, if you are somebody who's also into being submissive, if you if you it turns you on to be sexually subservient, which yes. often goes hand in hand with a foot bang. Foot in foot. If you're into submission and like bowing down, serving somebody, then your eyes are naturally drawn to that lowest part of, of a woman's body. But when you say this chap used to turn up with a whole load of kit to service women's feet, like is giving a pedicure a sexual thing for some people? Because actually it's quite rank, isn't it? It's a load of dead skin coming off someone's foot. Now that ties into another a theory on why some people are into feet. The rankness, the dirtiness, the taboo nature of them, the fact that feet are considered gross by many, as we've explored in depth in the foxhole in the past, things that some people would recoil at is exactly what makes them attractive to others because we're supposed to think that they're dirty and that filthiness becomes quite compelling yeah, yeah, yeah. to certain but fetishes. Sure, certain fetishes go for anything, don't they? But most foot fetishes, they idolise clean feet, don't they? They don't want a stinky, cheesy foot. It's really individualistic. There's definitely people who do exactly want a cheesy, stinky foot. In fact, they will seek that out precisely. They actually used to be a kinky version of eBay where you could sell things like worn panties and um, nylon stockings and shoes that had the imprint of people's toes in them or that absolutely stank. The stinkier they were, the more dollar they would command. I would suggest that maybe part of that attraction for people who like stinky feet is the idea of getting very close to somebody in an intimate way that isn't usually shared you don't usually get close enough to mm. somebody's body to smell their feet that's something you'll usually only know about somebody if you're close to them so perhaps it's that degree of intimacy i suppose as well that a foot massage is quite a good way for a lot of people into sex isn't it because it's both sensual but not sexualized to most people it's intimate but it's not the same as saying whoa let me have a look at your chest Lots of sex experts, myself included, would suggest that if you are somebody who is dating a foot fetishist and you want to explore that in a way that doesn't feel too intimidating, allowing someone to give you a foot massage if you feel comfortable with that is a really good entry point for checking out whether the two of you are compatible in that manner. Um, everything we've spoken about so far in terms of explanations for why feet tick some people's boxes in bed have been quite psychological. There's also a neurological explanation that has been posited. There's an area of the brain called the somatosensory cortex. This is the bit of the brain that relates to or denotes a sensation, something like pressure or pain or warmth that can occur 
anywhere in the body. And that's in contrast to a localised sense organ like sight coming from your eyes or balance coming from your ears or, or taste coming from your tongue. The bit of the somatosensory cortex that corresponds to your genitals is really quite close to the bit that corresponds to feet. Mm. So there's a suggestion that in some people, those wires literally get crossed and they start to associate penises with pieds, to use the French word. Have you ever been approached by a fan who wanted a picture of your feet? Multiple times. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you oblige? Because I didn't. <laughs> um, oh, that sounds like the... a yes. <laughs> that sounds like a yes, but I wouldn't do it again, so don't ask. Uh, well, I actually used to work at Pedestal. That's how I know Soul Server and, uh-huh. and a lot of foot fetishists. And I actually, I don't mind having my feet played with. I do find it quite sensual and, and quite enjoyable. Well, that's not so what I'm asking. I, I'm asking, do you mind having your feet objectified by someone you haven't met? I'm trying to remember if I've ever sent pictures of my feet deliberately to somebody who I wasn't in a relationship with. There was a guy who wrote to me and was like, I collect pictures of podcasters' feet. And, you know, like mentioned other people, you know, I've got Ray Peacock or whatever. Can I have your feet? <laughs> I have had people comment on professional photographs of me saying that they find my feet attractive because mm. I have an unusually large gap between my big toe and the rest of my smaller toes. Wow. You're the Gareth Gates of feet. <laughs> They sort of look like they're somewhere on the evolutionary spectrum towards my feet becoming hands. And for certain <laughs> fetishists, that is considered attractive. So my weird, grabby little plates of meat, um, uh, some people are beating their meat to them, it would appear. <laughs> well, there is nowhere else to go from that point. So uh, all that's left to say is that if you have a question of sex for Alex to answer in a future edition of The Foxhole, here's what you have to do with it. You want to toddle your own feet over to modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and hit feedback. And thanks again to our sponsors for the foxhole, the ultimate automatic masturbator, the Handy. And handily for anyone who lives in Vegas, Handy themselves are going to be at CES, which is the largest <laughs> and most influential tech expo in the world. Have you heard about this? I've, I've not only heard of it, I've been flown out to it a couple of times when I used to be a gadget journalist. The highlight used to be a keynote by Bill Gates. It's very different in 2022. Well, they've still got keynotes from like really massive tech companies like Samsung and, and huge franchises like McDonald's. But yeah, now Handy are going to be there talking about their masturbatory machines. Um, I think they particularly want to focus on the fact that Handy has massive interactive capabilities, particularly when paired with virtual reality. You know, it can sync up with uh, adult videos. They, they provide some of their own ones at handyfeeling.com. Now, CES say that this year they're concentrating on two main themes. One is intelligent automation. And the second is the evolution of the metaverse. Handy is bang on the money with both of these things. They are intelligent automation that allows people to... Uh, have fun in the metaverse. So they really are at the cutting edge of technology. Not that you want a cutting edge anywhere near your schlong. No, it's very slick and smooth. <laughs> if you'd like to try one out for yourself, and they do offer a 30-day money-back guarantee and a one-year warranty, head to thehandy.com and use the code FOXHOLE. Yep, you can bag yourself free express shipping if you use that code F-O-X-H-O-L-E. See you next month, Alex. See you soon. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this month's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new manbassador. It is Alicia Droob from San Luis Obispo, California, who says, Ollie, you three are doing great work. 
Can I Throw My Hat in the Ring to be Mambassador for San Luis Obispo, home of the famed Madonna Inn, and just down the coast highway from Hearst Castle. Uh, Alicia, you can. You can now take that hat out of the ring and wear it with pride because I've stuck a big virtual modern man badge on it. You are the Mambassador for San Luis Obispo, and you didn't even need to build a novelty motel or a 42-bedroom shrine to your own ego. Congratulations. Until next time, our theme music's by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill, and we'll see you with something new on February the 10th. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.